Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. From AccuWeather.com, this is Everything Under the Sun. It's our weekly podcast featuring in-depth interviews with experts from AccuWeather and from around the world. Bringing you behind-the-scenes information, stories, and news on the weather, climate change, and the outdoors. Covering topics from the worlds of science, sports, and space. It's all the information you need to weatherproof your life. And now, here's the host of Everything Under the Sun, AccuWeather meteorologist, Dean DeVore. Welcome in, friends. It's good to have you with us as we've changed the calendar to June. That, of course, means for meteorologists, we are in meteorological summer. June, July, and August is what we consider summer meteorologically in the Northern Hemisphere. We are also now into hurricane season, and that will be our first Raise of Focus segment, the latest on the hurricane forecast, and it's germane because we have a system in the Gulf of Mexico that will likely be named Alex here as this podcast drops on Friday. We'll talk more about the general hurricane forecast with our long-range expert, Paul Pasolak, and our hurricane expert, Dan Kalowski. And then in our second segment, our weather for the upcoming weekend and week beyond, we'll look at this situation in the Gulf of Mexico and how Alex will likely come on shore and cause problems with mainly rain, some wind issues over the Friday night into Saturday time period uh, as we go into this weekend. And then what it may do as it emerges on the other side of Florida and goes into the Atlantic, brushing the Bahamas and Bermuda potentially next week. Friends, sit back and relax. It's time to talk about everything under the sun from AccuWeather.com. Let's get right to it and talk about this hurricane season. It is just underway. And again, we certainly have things to talk about with this system in the Gulf of Mexico. We welcome in our senior meteorologist, expert meteorologist, Dan Kutlowski, who's in semi-retirement now, and our expert long-range forecaster, senior meteorologist, Paul Pastelock, who have been really kind of combining now to work on this hurricane forecast situation going forward and keeping an eye on what's going on currently. But Let's get caught up with them now here as we get rolling in our first summer episode of the series on everything under the sun from AccuWeather.com. Dan and Paul, welcome in. Uh, the reason I wanted to have both of you together is obviously our tropical forecasting and our long-range forecasting go hand in hand. And of course, Dan, as you, I, the word is semi-retired, although I think I see you as much of the office. On, well, we're into that season, right? So you're here. But, you know, Paul's going to also be taking a role going forward in, um, you know, working uh, with our whole long range and our tropical forecasting team. Um, but all of this goes forward. And so as we sit here on this weekend, when we're looking and wondering at what point we do get our first Atlantic Basin hurricane or tropical system named, and it looks like that could happen as we go through the weekend, I just wanted to get you know back into a look at the overall pattern as we go through the summer. In some ways, you know, concentrating on the tropics, but also some other ideas because 
again, both Dan and Paul have a, a great look at that. And certainly there's some other things. So I know when we left it and we'll start with Dan, I know that the numbers were that we were talking about in terms of the official forecast from AccuWeather dot com and AccuWeather for the Atlantic hurricane season. At the time we talked last, we were talking about 16 to 20 named storms, hurricanes, total hurricanes in the Atlantic Basin, six to eight, um, three to five major hurricanes, category three or better, direct United States impact, four to six. Are those numbers, Nan, still the same as we're looking as we just get into the start of uh, official hurricane season? Uh, have we changed those at all? No, I, th- I think those numbers are, are still uh, locked in from what we had. Uh, we issued that in late March, so nothing has changed. Um, it's interesting to note that we didn't have any preseason tropical development this year. Um, First which, time again, in a while, right? Yeah. And, uh, well, uh, you know, for uh, the last seven years, we had uh, preseason development. And so when you're playing the numbers game, um, that means that we've reduced what we compare to last year by at least one or two uh, over the last few years. But still, um, there's a possibility that we'll get, uh, you know, one to two, maybe three uh, storms in June, um, which... (laughs) Well, 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 still put us in a um, in that range very favorably. So, you know, people look at it and say, oh, we didn't have any preseason storms. So that means that we're going to have less storms. Not necessarily. There have been years where we've had no storms in uh, the preseason and maybe only one storm in June, but we've still had very active seasons. So um, so we can't you know, the early part of the season does not set up what happens during August, September, October, which really is the is the heart of the hurricane season. And that's the time of the year where we see the worst of the worst of the hurricanes. Not all the time. You know, we again, uh, you can look back at 1995. We had a lot of storms early in the season, even through July. So uh, you can never say never. But this year, what's important about this year is, again, this is a year where the factors which have made the last two years active are still in play. The waters are still warm. In fact, the Gulf of Mexico is warmer than last year collectively. Um, and then you also have the the uh, global pattern, uh, La Nina still in place. And again, that means less frequent shear dipping into uh, the tropics, which gives more opportunity for weak features to fully develop. So that's the reason why the numbers are higher uh, this year, again, because of those two main factors. And I know that we look at analogs in terms of years uh, when we look at this and we make those kinds of forecasts. So, Paul, talk about what years we're analoging and what we saw, or is this kind of a hybrid year where um, they're, you know, we're using some analog years of years past what happened as a basis, but we need to take in other considerations because that year didn't have certain of the characteristics we're looking at for this year going into it. Well, what's interesting is that Dan and I kind of take a little different approach because Dan focuses more on the tropics itself. And the two biggest factors uh, is ENSO and sea surface temperatures. And Dan, tries to take my years that I look at during the course of the season and then take from there a smaller package or sometimes similar uh, years that incorporate more on the ENSO sea surface temperature anomalies. Now, the one year of Dan, Dan can probably talk a little bit about this, is that we added 2,000, right, Dan? We added 2,000 to the list. That kind of stuck out. And not only from a tropical standpoint, when Dan approached me with that, 
I looked at it, and a lot of things are matching up with the pattern that's going on right now across the United States. So there's some overlapping when you look at the overall North America or Pacific pattern with the tropical pattern, we start to come with some years. And that's how we kind of get some really good analog years in the beginning of the year. And uh, we mix them. We basically mix them. It's it's hard to find one year that's going to work out exactly. So the weather, the weather rhymes. It doesn't necessarily repeat, but there's <laughs> there's certain characteristics where things kind of fall into place that are similar, and then you need to use your expertise to get it get it more right. fine tuned, right? Right, exactly. And uh, then uh, two thousand. What stuck out again with you with the uh, tropical area with was it the Enso? Yeah, I again, uh, I strongly look at Enso and also look at water temperature as well. And let's try to uh, let's define up. for people who you know are kind yeah. of just uh, what is Enso? What what yeah. is that actually? Enso actually the the actual term Enso the acronym is actually El Nino Southern Oscillation. What it means basically is whether we have a, an El Nino or not in the Southern Oscillation is. Uh, a pressure pattern that sets up over the southern hemisphere, which also kind of shows us whether we have a La Nina or an El Nino. So El, La Nina and El Nino is just about the surface temperatures. When you add in the ENSO part of it, it's also about pressures, right? Is that yeah, what, it, what you're saying? Exactly, exactly. So so in a in a, um, a La Nina, the, what we look at, and basically what we look at is we look at a rectangular area, five degrees north, five degrees south, roughly between... Uh, 140 and about 170 west. That's just south of out uh, south of uh, of Hawaii. We look at that rectangular box and then we try to determine what the temperature is doing in that water temperature area. And that's that's um, that area when that's colder than normal, we have La Nina. When it's warmer than normal, we have El Nino. And so right now that area is colder than normal. In fact, that whole area has expanded a little bit more uh, over the last uh, month or so. So we feel pretty confident that we're not going to have any El Nino uh, situation this year. It's going to be either a uh, a week or maybe a moderate uh, La Nina as we go from the summer uh, into the fall season then. so And it's very important because whenever we have a La Nina pattern, the westerly winds which dominate the weather across the U.S., and the more northern latitudes, they don't tend to dip down into the tropics nearly as frequently. They still do, but they don't drop down as as frequently. So you'd ha- you have less vertical wind shear. Um, when we're looking at uh, systems this time of year, obviously we're looking more closer to home, closer to the continental United States in terms of development. You know, in this scenario that we will talk about the potential formation of Alex, it's the first name on the list in the Atlantic Basin, it actually started as a circulation that was on the Pacific side as Agatha. And that circulation came into Mexico, sheared apart by the mountains there and came over on the other side. And now that's kind of the impetus for what could grow into Alex as we get towards the weekend. You know, just in generalities, we know that at the very least, it's going to bring a lot of moisture to Florida with some of the heaviest amounts, southern Florida. I mean, it's a double edged sword because, you know, some areas in that state need the rain, but other areas don't need the kind of rain that we're thinking, which, you know, down in the southern half of the state could be 
eight inches to, you know, almost a foot. If, if, you know, depending on the way some of those uh, training showers and thunderstorms with it work out. But at this point of the year, we're always kind of looking in that zone somewhere in the Bay of Campeche or anywhere in the Gulf or somewhere along the Eastern seaboard, usually South of, uh, you know, the Virginia's down towards Carolina's down towards Florida, where, you know, because of the surrounding environments, you can start getting, what is mostly a closed low. There's a lot of times this time of year where the hurricanes or the tropical systems that form maybe not be truly closed off, but they're 80% tropical. And so for that situation, they get named and those kinds of things. Am I right on that? That's where we should be looking here in the next month or two. Yeah, I think, uh, thank you. I think you're right. Again, the early part of the season is the most difficult to deal with uh, developing tropical systems because you don't have, the persistent tropical features coming off the coast of Africa like we will have in August, September, and October. So most of the, the development that we see that takes place early in the season is from all kinds of features, you know, weak upper level features, frontal boundaries, and so forth. And um, Paul, talk about how you look at that, because Paul looks looks at long-range forecasts and, and tries to determine whether there is a tropical signal. So Paul, take it away. There's a few things that I like to look at is uh, we're in this La Nina state longer than we normally see, okay? And so what that means is, is that we're still continuing to see very active overall storm track, jet stream pattern across the United States. So when we see something like that occurring later into, usually and so we, we're looking at the fall into the, uh, spring season. That's the peak time. But when it gets into the summer like this, we can still see these amplification of patterns uh, throughout from the Pacific to North America. And with these dip downs and these systems, these disturbances coming down out of the north, sometimes they can get out over the Gulf, which is warming uh, significantly by this time. And it doesn't take much to get a swirl out of it. And then all of a sudden, boom, we have some type of developing system. So that is an area that we like to look at. Another thing I like to look at, too, is I'm still a teleconnection person when it comes to looking at other parts of the globe. Eastern Asia, uh, a lot of times we can see things happening there that could translate uh, down the road farther east. And if that's the case, um, that could have an effect on the overall pattern, not just across the United States, but also in the tropics as well. So um, this year, I think we've been able to use that teleconnection a little bit later into the season because of the fact that we've had such amplification of the pattern. So we use those kind of things to kind of see beyond what the modeling is not catching at the time. And mm -hmm. I, I think that gets us a heads up on a lot of forecasts outside of the company, other places and competitors. So um, we use those kind of tools to kind of look at that. And then I have some of the short range guys that are in the office that probably look at the shear more than I do. And then we all come together and we put it all together and we talk about it at map discussion. And I think that's how we come up with some pretty good forecasts. All right. That's that's a term that we hear a lot when we talk about hurricane forecasting is wind shear. And what wind shear means is the winds in the upper levels of the atmosphere are not conducive to development because they're so strong, usually running counter to the direction of the, the tropical system is moving itself. There are times, though, when... It, it looks, you know, you can call it sheer because it's strong upper level winds. But I think in the case of this system that we're watching for this weekend, yes, 
at least at the initial stages, it looks like the shear will be counterproductive. And then there's a point where the shear, if the if the the system itself is in the direction or moving in the direction of that strong wind, it actually, even though it's strong and there's shear, it's actually helpful for the development. Did I get that right? Yeah. Whenever a, a storm is working parallel to the the mean shear, we call we, we call it the mean shear vector. And what the mean shear vector is basically. You look at the lower level winds, the mid-level winds, and the high-level winds, and then you come up with an average direction of the of the wind flow, and, and then the strength of, of that of that wind flow, and that determines the shear. And yes, what that does is that helps to vent the, the thunderstorms which develop uh within the, the system. The problem is when once the thunderstorms start developing, they then want to continue to rise vertically. But after a time, the shear causes the whole thunderstorm pattern to tilt or to get ripped off the tops. So a lot of people talk about thunderstorm tops being ripped off, and that's what happens. You can get a tropical storm to develop in a highly sheared environment, but it's not going to develop any further because it needs to be more vertical as it gets stronger. And that's what determines whether a storm is a long lasting. Again, I always use this analogy. Take a look at a spinning top that we all play. Well, not everybody, I guess some people don't play with them anymore, but a spinning top, <laughs> the spinning top is vertical, straight vertical. It'll spin. If it's a good top, <laughs> it'll spin vertically and stay there for a while. But if you tilt that, put your finger against it, it gets very wobbly and wonky. And next thing you know, it unravels. So think of it that way. Did you guys have that game when I was I was a kid? It was called Battle Tops. And you wrapped the string around with the top and then you pulled it and then it went into the middle thing and they would yeah, and that, hit each other, right? Yeah. yeah but, and that top was in the shape of a tornado, too. It was, it, yeah. Kind of like a, a cone type type device. So, oh, I love playing that. A 25-year-old is listening to this podcast and saying, what are you talking about, you all? The other thing that's always concerning these early season uh, situations here is the fact, and we mentioned that, that the the golf waters are exceedingly warm. And so we see a lot of rapid development situations where we get the storm and then all of a sudden in that last 24 hours as it's coming on shore or coming towards shore, it starts to really uh, pick up that moisture and that energy from the warm waters and spin up into something stronger than we may have thought or predicted just a day or so before. So these are the scenarios that I'm really cautious with people. You know, you got to check this every day. You got to keep checking it every hour, especially when we have these kind of homegrown things closer to home, right? In the next month or two, just uh, just be careful about that rapid development situation. Yeah, rapid intensification is is a function of of warm, but also very deep warm water. So, for for example, right now there's a warm water current which we call a, a loop current, which is which basically transports very deep warm water from the Caribbean into the Gulf of Mexico. And that loop current right now, oceanographers have reported that the depth of the sufficiently warm water is down to about 300 feet, which is wow. quite quite impressive. So you have this, this channel of very warm water and then little eddies break off and spin off. And then you have these little, maybe uh, anywhere from three to, to six little eddies that, that, that rotate in the Gulf of Mexico. And if a tropical storm goes over these, 
boom, it, it gets a it gets a boost in energy. It's almost like playing a video game and you you get energized <laughs> and get stronger. And that's exactly what happens with these tropical storms and hurricanes. And this is what happened in, uh, with Katrina, Rita in, two th- uh, in uh, uh, 2005, when we had such explosive development because we had a, a, war- a very strong warm water, uh, a water eddy uh, develop in that area from a very strong loop current. And right now, latest information we're looking at shows that we have a lot of deep warm water already in the Gulf of Mexico. Some people are comparing it to 2005, but again, we'll have to see because you need more than just the warm water. You need also the storms and you need the storms to track over those features. But uh, but I don't doubt that we're going to see a very powerful storm hit the United States again this year. There's just too many, there's just too many factors that that are playing into this. And I'm I'm hoping it's it's somewhere where nobody lives. But again, yeah. there's a lot of places where a lot of people live along the coast. That's why people have to have the hurricane plan in place right now. Hey Dean, and one thing about these these Gulf loop this Gulf loop current that Dan was talking about, right? I've been starting to do more research on it. Maria Molina was a uh, person that has done considerable research on this. The interesting thing about this is that it's been starting early, like in March and early April, the current begins out of the Caribbean into the Gulf. And then it just continues to warm, like Dan was saying, getting very deep on the warm water. And then on top of that, um, if you go back to what happened about four or five weeks ago, there was a storm that came up into the northern Gulf and exploded. And they got a lot of heavy rain and severe weather down in western Florida and the southeast. And I think that 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 loop current was at almost at a peak there. Uh, and I think that had something to do with the enhancement of that storm with other things that were coming down out of the north as well. So that's just an example of what could happen if one of these systems can get into that current at the right time. And the other thing, too, is these marine heat waves that they're discovering all over the globe. We have one going on off the New England coast. It's been there for a long time. And, and like Dan said, I mean, you got to be nervous and concerned if we get one system to go up into that during the heart of the peak of the uh, you know tropical season, do we have a, an enhancement at the last minute that can cause some major, major damage across the Northeast? So that's, that's a big concern when you see those, those little you know, water pockets that are, are just well above normal. Well, gentlemen, that's a lot of great information as we uh, get to the start here of hurricane season. Obviously, we're watching the system as it uh, pushes towards Florida here as we cut into the weekend. And we'll talk about that here in our next segment for the weather for the upcoming week, weekend and week beyond. But I thank you for your work and uh, all of the efforts that you and your teams do. And certainly, Paul and Dan will be talking to you more as we unwrap and get through this hurricane season where... Like the Carpenters used to sing, we've only just begun. You can certainly keep up to date with the latest thinking of both Paul and Dan as we go through this uh, hurricane season, and we'll have them on frequently, but you'll also see their comments uh, frequently on AccuWeather.com, our website stories, and also our AccuWeather Network, AccuWeather Now, which is available, as we told you last week, on AccuWeather.com as well. So it is uh, certainly something we got to watch for this weekend. We have what we're likely going to be seeing uh, named as Tropical Storm Alex as this uh, drops here as we go midday on Friday, impacting Florida and then the Bahamas and then potentially Bermuda into next week. Let's uh, get uh, the latest information on that with two of our meteorologists, uh, Dan Podnowski and Mary Gilbert. Join me up next. This is Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. 
Whether you're at home getting ready for work, packing the kids' lunch, or commuting, listen to AccuWeather Daily. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, and you'll get the top trending weather story of the day every day. Welcome back to Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com, our initial segment here in the summer series of 2022. We just spent uh, several minutes with our Great meteorologists Dan Kudlowski and Paul Paslock talking about the hurricane season overall here as we just started hurricane season. And as we get ready for our segment here and looking at the weather on the weekend ahead and the week beyond, we we are joined by two of our great AccuWeather forecasters. One you've heard from before on this show, if you've listened, Dan Pinowski, who's now our head morning meteorologist at AccuWeather. And so um, Danny and I work together pretty closely every morning that he's in, in terms of the big forecast that I do on the big radio stations. And I want to introduce another one of our forecasters who's, um, you know, I've grown to respect very immensely here over the last couple of years because of her ability to be working in so many different kinds of facets of what we do at AccuWeather. Uh, and she's become one of our storm leaders. Um, I also have an affection for her because she went to school where I grew up in Millersville, Pennsylvania, graduated from Millersville University and grew up in Allentown, which I know really well. Mary, it's uh, Gilbert. We welcome her in and Dan Pitanowski. Mary, good to have you here for the first time. Uh, I know uh, you uh, ate at the Sugar Bowl a couple of times uh, in Millersville <laughs> and uh and those kinds of things. And, um, you know, we have so many Millersville graduates at, at AccuWeather, and, and it's great. You, Bill Dager, uh, John Fierick, uh, all matriculated through Millersville. Great meteorological program. And I've known growing up there some of the folks that were laid the groundwork for it so many years ago. So it's a good school, and it's great to have you on here. Uh, talk about your time a little bit down at Millersville and how that was important. Yeah, sure thing. Uh, great to be here, Dean. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, uh, Millersville was a great experience. Uh, spent all four years down there in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Um, we have amazing professors, a really, really solid department. Um, basically world-renowned at this point. Huge presence at any AMS conference you'll ever go to. Um, very, very pivotal for my education and time here at AccuWeather. Really gave me a good starting point. Um, for all the stuff I've now learned to do while working here at AccuWeather over these last three years. Yeah, you can read Mary's work a lot of times on our AccuWeather.com platform. She's uh, manning that desk. She also becomes our storm leader at times and helps direct, uh, which is something that Danny does. Danny, you grew up down in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, went to North Carolina State. And so, um, you know, you uh, certainly North Carolina State, another great institution that has a great background as well. And we've had a, a few folks from there over the years that uh, we've worked with recently here at AccuWeather. So another good school. But that storm leader role, I want to talk about that a little bit is is important right now, especially as we look at this situation for this weekend with having this potentially named system, which would be Alex that will impact Florida. And then we'll see what it does from there. But uh, Danny, uh, you know, what I think is exciting is, you know, we've had when I grew up, kind of a finite number of well-respected meteorological schools, and that number has seemed to grow over the years. 
So Millersville and North Carolina State now are even more on the map than, say, Oklahoma and Penn State and Florida State were just 10 or 20 years ago. That's kind of exciting in this field right now. Yeah, there's a, a growing number of programs and, and even some of the newer programs like a, like a, a UNC Charlotte, which haven't been around all that long, just the last uh, five to seven years or so, have uh, really grown and taken off and, and really become uh, well-respected programs. So the, the, the number of schools not only that offer meteorology degrees, but that offer quality programs it has really grown, in, I would say, in the last five to 10 years. So it's uh, it's been exciting to see as, as the uh, number of uh, students that have the opportunity to uh, uh, get a degree in meteorology or atmospheric sciences uh, has really grown over the last decade. And it, uh, it's important to us right now because we're in a cycle. We've got uh, four meteorological interns and they're from all over the road in terms of educational purposes. And so I think, too, uh, a, a company like AccuWeather plays a very active role in that as well, where um, you know, there's opportunities for these folks to work. And so it's an exciting time. And um, I hope to do more about uh, the educational process here as we go forward. You know, we've already done a couple of ep episodes like, so you want to be a meteorologist, but uh, want to certainly appreciate your take on that, both of you. Let's get your take now on this situation here. As we talked about and hit it up, up front, we have a system that you know, it's very interesting. It started on the Pacific side. It was the first Pacific name storm, Agatha. Um, that uh, circulation came into Mexico, kind of sheared apart by the mountains there of Mexico, which typically does. But that circulation held together, came over now on the Gulf side, and it gets a change in name because now this, uh, if it forms, and again, we're recording this about nine o'clock here on uh, on Friday morning, and we expect at some point either in the 11 o'clock outlook from uh, the National Hurricane Center, or maybe even as late as two, that we will get it named as Alex. It, it's interesting, but Danny, I, brought, I think you brought up a really good point the other day in map discussion that um, you know, when you get these June systems and so we'll, we'll, this likely will get a name. It will likely come in. It looks like as a tropical storm to Florida, you know, we're talking peak wind gust. Uh, we're saying 40 to maybe as high as 50, but not long-term and, and maybe only those peak wind gusts closer to the coast rain is going to be this main story. But I thought you made a good point the other day, typical June situation where, you know, it is not necessarily always a hundred percent closed low that we expect or think about when we think of later in the season storms, and we name these things. Uh, and and honestly, you know, they do have a lot of tropical characteristics. But these early season storms typically are about more about rain than the wind, maybe thankfully. Um, and so it's a good point to understand that even though this thing has a name, it may not characterizes what we'll see later in the season, but it's certainly going to be significant, especially when we look at the rainfall that we may expect here over at least the southern half of Florida. Yeah, that's right. Certainly, you look at the system on satellite, and it's a, certainly not a classic-looking uh, hurricane or anything of that nature. And that's, uh, like you said, Dean, pretty typical for uh, storms coming up out of the Gulf uh, in early June, especially once you get to uh, 25 degrees north and north of that latitude. It's tropical, but you usually still have some jet dynamics in play. Uh, so you end up with a, a tropical system, but uh, certainly what you see on a satellite picture in June is not what 
what you'll see in a classic looking hurricane in late August or September. But uh, the rain certainly is going to be the, the main factor. And, and that's especially true uh, for areas that have been hard hit with some uh, street and urban flooding recently. Uh, Miami up up to Fort Lauderdale just uh, had a, uh, some issues on Memorial Day, and, and we'll be seeing even more rain this time around. So even just four or five inches, even if uh, things verify in the low end of the forecast in a place like Miami, you would have to think there's going to be another round of issues uh, tonight, Friday night into Saturday in, in terms of uh, some streets and highways uh, getting uh, getting flooded out for a time. Yeah, Mary, let's talk about the timing. It looks like the center of whatever this is called, let's call it for uh, all intents and purposes, Tropical Storm Alex, we think at that point, it looks like the center of what would be the center. It's like, Again, it may be hard to find a true center of circulation, but what they call the center of the storm is likely to be coming on that western side of Florida. Uh, it looks like uh, Friday night, right, into uh, Saturday morning as we'd be the timing there. Yeah, it looks like the most likely timing right now is probably around just after a couple hours after sunrise on Saturday morning. Um, we're looking at a landfall point, likely somewhere around Fort Myers, um, somewhere in that kind of southwestern portion of the Florida Peninsula for our uh, then tropical storm, most likely to, uh, to come in Saturday morning. And and again, if it has the name Tropical Storm, uh, again, I think it's important to understand length of time that you will be getting effects um to me the people that will be the most likely to see tropical storm force winds sustained or gusts are going to be in the coastal areas and the timing of that maybe is what four or five hours in terms of how long someone might be in that zone um rainfall might last what up to 12 hours uh from the beginnings of uh the storm and again this is not going to be a classic thing where you can look at a, a, a saddle or a radar picture and see that nice circular storm this is going to be very disjointed there's going to be you know training thunderstorms in some areas um, away from the center of circulation so but the general time is 12 to 14 hours of rain at the, maybe off and on does that sound about right guys I'd say that sounds about right. It is going to be a pretty quick moving storm once yeah. it moves through the peninsula. So um, luckily, you're not going to have those prolonged effects. But I mean, there's still going to be a decent slug of rain in a pretty short amount of time. So that's bound to cause some issues. Um, but yeah, uh, out of, a lot of the rain is actually going to come out ahead of the center of circulation. So by the time it would actually make landfall, it's going to be raining for quite a bit of time in southern parts of the peninsula already. Right. Um, so their yeah. problems may be occurring starting as late as uh, or as early as later this afternoon and tonight as some of that rain shower activity starts to move into there. Yeah, it's certainly possible. All right. So that would be Friday night into early Saturday morning. We could have some copious amounts of rain already. Uh, um, you know, one thing, Danny, is there will be some probably effect the way this looks like once it emerges on the eastern side of Florida. Uh, to some effect to the northern Bahamas, I would think. Uh, maybe some wind, maybe some rain there. Yeah, yeah. Some rain and wind in, in the northern Bahamas. And, and even as the center passes off to the north uh, later Saturday, even into Saturday night and Sunday, there could be some trailing uh, uh, feeder bands or inflow bands uh, that, that are coming up uh, through the storm into what is likely to be Alex by that point. So uh, Bahamas impacts could even last into Sunday across the northern and central Bahamas. And then we'll have to keep an eye on it down the road, Dean, uh, for early next week uh, for, for Bermuda. 
in terms of some rain and wind impacts uh, for the for the that island as well. Yeah, and and the water's warm. It's certainly warm in the Gulf, and and I always worry about you know with the you know the first time anything, whether it's that organized in circulation or not, first thing anything's really through the Gulf of this magnitude here this season, and it's got so much water. Now, one thing is if it's not really organized, it doesn't, it disturbs it a little bit, but that source of energy in the Gulf is not going to get really disrupted because of its speed and the fact that it's not going to be that organized. So um, that water, that energy source is still there. And I think we've got to keep an eye as, as Paul and, and Dan said here over the next couple of weeks, several weeks about the, the potential for something else to to form a storm that uh, could be problematic. So it's certainly something to, that we're going to have to keep an eye on, as you said. Um, the, I guess the other good story, folks, is right how nice the weather is in a lot of places that, you know, at least through the first two thirds of May had some really well, words that we can't use about some of those weekends in the first couple of uh, weekends of May uh, that we can't use that would uh, be proper, but uh, a beautiful weekend all the way from New England down through the Mid-Atlantic back to the Great Lakes. I guess we deserve it after some of those early May, late April weekends that felt uh, like we had transported back a couple of months in time. Some nice weather ahead, Mary, in the Northeast with blue skies and comfortable temperatures here next couple of days. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a beautiful weekend. So if you have the chance, I would get out and definitely enjoy it. It's perfect barbecue weather. Yes, I saw that on one of our AccuWeather maps. It's a barbecue (laughs) weekend. Um, Danny, uh, obviously the heat is a concern. We're seeing, uh, you know, already as we're dropping this podcast on Friday morning, another big complex and storms in Texas. And we're seeing that we were talking about that in a map discussion we just had right before we did this uh, talk here about um, it seems early for these mesoscale complexes and they keep lasting longer through the day than maybe uh, typical. So definitely some interesting weather phenomenon going on here of late. Yeah, that's right. It's still uh, 8 a.m. Central, and this uh, complex in Texas is still going pretty strong. Uh, maybe finally, if you look at radar imagery, starting to lose a, a little bit of steam. It's not moving all that fast, so uh, I'm not sure it ever makes it all the way to Dallas or Austin or San Antonio, or maybe just some remains of it can. Uh, but certainly farther north, is the northwest of those areas, uh, up towards Abilene, and not moving all that quickly. So uh, putting down some very heavy rainfall. So that may be end up being the major concern with this as it, as it gradually diminishes here over the uh, next few hours. And then, of course, uh, remnant cloud cover uh, downstream can always wreak havoc with your high temperature forecasts as well. Uh, so uh, Dallas uh, down through uh, San Antonio and Austin, even if they never see any rain, you get that remnant cloud cover. And sometimes that can make uh, for a tricky forecasting situation when you get the uh, remnant clouds uh, from these MCSs, even as they die off. And just quickly looking ahead, as I was looking at the long range uh, into next week, it looks very zonal next week where things are moving or progressing. Once Alex uh, gets out of the way, things are moving, get some little dips of, uh, you know, some cooler air in from the north. It'll spin up some uh, areas of low pressure, but it looks like things move along. Uh, You know, there's a there's looks like a, a really pretty healthy storm up in the Pacific Northwest, which, uh, you know, for the, it's starting to be late for those kinds of big rainstorms here that we're going to see over the weekend into the early next week. Uh, but as was pointed out in that map discussion we just had, you know, this La Nina is holding on. And so getting storms this late in the season up into the Pacific Northwest 
is something that we talked about in our AccuWeather Long Range Forecasting variant. So, uh, yeah, they're going to get quite a soaking up in the northwest here in early June, which is not necessarily something they're used to. They certainly are. Our Long Range team has been spot on with the continued wetness up there in the northwest. Um, it's, it'll be interesting over you know the next couple of days with the slug of moisture coming in. Places like Seattle could see their monthly rainfall in the matter of a day or two. So um, could be some flooding issues, but ultimately more rain is going to be good to keep away drought conditions as we move into the drier parts of the year. Yeah, it's too bad we can't transport that about, what, uh, 1,200 miles to the south and east where they definitely yeah, need it. Right. So, all right, Mary, Danny, that was awesome. Thanks so much. Mary, did you, you survived your first uh, visit here on Everything Under the Sun. You did well. Thank you so much. Yeah, I survived. Thanks for having me, Dean. Danny, have a good weekend. All right. Enjoy the weekend. So again, a reminder that we're putting the finishing touches of production on this podcast just ahead of the 11 a.m. advisory from the National Hurricane Center. As I'm uh, doing the last minute uh, uh, recording here, I'm looking at a satellite picture that you can see the center of circulation. It's visible, but it's exposed out into the clear away from the center of uh, convection that's blowing up just east of it. Uh, certainly affecting as we uh, record this on Friday morning in western Cuba already. And as we said, even before that center of circulation would approach the coast of Florida for early Saturday morning, a lot of impacts with rain out ahead of that. Stay tuned. You can get the latest information on our Twitter handles and feeds. Uh, both uh, AccuWeather and Breaking Weather are our Twitter uh, entities and also on our website accuweather.com where you can also get uh, immediate uh, access to accuweather now that streaming over the top service that we uh, kind of uh, take our network feed and also uh, other information and shows and get you the latest information our great media partners across the globe will have the information that you need about this storm and everything else to weatherproof your life this weekend for our guests paul Paslock, dan kudlowski and Dan Pinnowski and Mary Gilbert. And for our executive producers, Ken Prell and Andrew Robb, thanks for listening. Coming ahead in the weeks ahead, we'll talk about how you can deal with heat-related illness and try to prevent heat stroke as we look at a long, hot summer ahead. We'll also talk about gardening and astronomy, some uh, great uh, situations in the next several weeks here where you can see many of the planets aligned in the early morning hours some beautiful stuff we'll talk to brian later about that we'll also talk about pride month and how proud we are here at accuweather to be supportive of that all of that and more coming up in the weeks ahead as we begin our summer series for andrew and ken and our guests i'm dean devore thanks for being with us for the other hundreds of accuweather team members across the globe that Work so hard to weatherproof your life. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week on Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe to, rate, and review Everything Under the Sun on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And of course, if you have an idea for a future podcast, just email us at AccuWeather.podcast at AccuWeather.com. 
Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com.